Hey there, Hushlings. Declassified Dave here. In this debriefing, we will be discussing things like suicide, murder, human trafficking, amongst other sensitive topics. If any of these topics are upsetting or triggering for you, we encourage you to check out one of our lighter-hearted debriefings in our catalog. Also, if you or a loved one are experiencing thoughts of self-harm or suicide, we encourage you to please, without hesitation, text or call 988, the Suicide Crisis Hotline. With that being said, please enjoy Debriefing 66. Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. The event took place in the 90s while George Jung was about to graduate from medical school. I was doing an internship at the Shenyang Army General Hospital. At that time, I took part in a military mission. Along with three doctors and two nurses and under armed escort, he was driven in an ambulance to an area around Dalian in China's northeast. The ambulance drove to a very remote place in the wilderness. Then we heard a gunshot. It wasn't long before several soldiers carried a man over. At the time, I saw that his neck was all covered by blood and his throat was bloody. Jung witnessed doctors removing kidneys from the prisoner. He motioned for me to cut one particular blood vessel. As soon as it was cut, his blood instantly flowed out and it was hot. I was panicking and very shocked at the time. But I saw that the other people present had no expression on their faces. After the kidneys, the doctors instructed him to take out the eyeballs. I said that I couldn't do it at all. I was near collapse at that time and my body kept on shaking. One of the doctors removed the eyeballs and after all was done instructed George to stuff the body into a bag, which was carried away by soldiers. I asked, what about the leftover bodies? He said that there was another military vehicle that would destroy or burn them. After they came back to Shenyang, he witnessed the organs being implanted into a waiting patient. He was told to sit aside and take a rest. The whole thing shook him profoundly. After I went home, I had a high fever for a few days. Afterwards, I talked with someone at the hospital to tell them that I would not go there anymore. I said I could work elsewhere, but I wouldn't do this job again. To this day, George is haunted by the memory of that day in the mountains and wilderness. Greetings, Hushtillians. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our resident pancreas plunderer, Slick Frank Sanders. Hey, <laughs> yo. I'm nasty with a fucking scalpel. Catch me on these streets. How are you doing, Hushlings? Mike, Dave, good evening, good afternoon. Good, good evening. evening and good night. Slice me open. Take my heart. <laughs> Take me guts. I'm like the guy on the beach in Saving Private Ryan. Mommy! Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, hushlings, we are in rare form today. As you can tell, we're talking about guts. <laughs> but like typically we're talking about like getting inside them guts. And today we're talking about taking them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The organ trade is a compassionless, profit-driven business that preys on those in needs desperation. Over 120,000 people in the United States are still waiting for a transplant. And every 12 minutes, a new patient 
is added to the list. They are frequently unable to find a donor due to the shortage of organs. While the sale of organs has been illegal in the United States since 1984, it wasn't until 2011 that the first person was convicted of trafficking in organs. The organ trade is not limited to poorer countries. It's in fact a global issue. Today, we peer into the seedy world of black market organ harvesting and sales. From Chinese government-sanctioned atrocities to lab-grown organs for ultra-rich elites. But before we wake up in a nice bath in a pay-by-the-hour motel, just want to remind you to check us out on all our social medias, as always, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And for everything Hush Hush Society, Conspiracy Hour, you can go to our one-stop shop, www.hushhushsociety.com. There you can find all of our episodes, blog section, merchandise, and links to all our social medias, as well as the link to our Rockfin. Yes, and on our Rockfin, you can watch us. Not only can you hear our voices, but you can actually see our facial expressions, maybe even hand gestures while we're talking. It adds a little bit more to the experience of the show, and if you guys would stop by, check it out, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us. You might have a good time watching us. Let us know. Let us know how you feel about it. Hand gestures. (laughs) Fungal. Hey, Fangu. Oh, fucking Fagioli. <laughs> you guys enjoy a good pasta Fagioli? <laughs> All right, boys. Let's dive into this and uh, cut in. Get a little slice of that. For show, for show. As we stated, organ harvesting is a hugely profitable yet illegal and morally inept multi-billion dollar business. Illegal organ transplants are alarmingly common, with estimates suggesting that up to 10% of global kidney and liver transplants involve organs obtained illicitly. 10% is a pretty pretty high figure. Yeah, that's chunky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you think about the amount of people that require those organs. It's a pretty big number. Every day, 21 people globally die because they were unable to find a donor for the life-saving organ transplant that they needed. 40,000 legal transplants were performed in the year of 2021, and kidney transplants are, of course, the most common. I have a transplant story. Let's hear it. Not me, but, you know. Well, no. You want to see the scar? No, I'm just kidding. My dad was on a heart transplant list for a couple years, and... Mm. uh, we were about to have the surgery, got him up into the hospital, shaved him all up and down, head to toe, got all the all the bits done. And uh, yeah, they found out that the organ that was coming had the same problem that his heart had, plus oh. hepatitis C. So you have to be on shit. anti-rejection medication on top of hepatitis medication and whatnot. And on top of it, it still had coronary artery disease that we weren't oh. supposed to know as the recipient's family, the stuff that was going on, but as the organ was cut out of that newly dead person flying from, they told us where it was coming from, which they're not supposed to do either. And they got there and they aborted it. Partly my decision, because I was like, fuck that. Hepatite. This guy's got a slew of shit going on anyways. Why the hell am I going to add that to it? But it was ultimately the cardiologist's decision. But very interesting process. Took three years of being on that list just to get a call 
And then in order to stay on the list, there's like a bunch of things that you need to follow, like strict rules, especially depending on which type of organ that you are receiving. A report by Global Financial Integrity shows that each year around 7,000 kidneys are illegally harvested. Profits can range between 500 million and up to 1 billion per year for organ traffickers. The number of black market operations involving organs exceed 10,000 annually. That's a lot of people. It's a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. But you'll see as we go into this, there are multiple sources in which these organs come in from. Donors are typically young, male, and low income, whereas recipients are older and more wealthy. A successful organ transplant requires the collaboration of various parties, including patients, sellers, surgeons, traffickers, as well as dealers. It's a big operation. Dude, a heart transplant is 22 hours. A lot of moving parts here. That's, I think, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that even involving illegal harvesting of organs, you still require somebody with full medical knowledge, obviously, to extract the organ and then put it into the person that actually needs it. It reminds me of the complex, almost pyramid-like scheme of most cartels, how there's so many different people involved to make this like one little sniff happen in somebody's nose. The surgeons are also actual surgeons. They're actual doctors that work at hospitals. They're just kind of moonlighting as these underground surgeons for the most part. So where do they do these off hours? Like in somebody's apartment? The image of kind of getting an organ transplant off the books is, like you said, you know, kind of a seedy operation. But in most of these cases, these guys are making so much money that they're setting up these kind of operating rooms and with actual stuff that they need, actual equipment, actual tools that they use during these operations. So they're fully kitted in these makeshift operating tables. It's interesting because they make so much money that they can afford to just have these operations set up. Do we get into how much these people get paid under the table? Is it cash? We'll get into a little bit of figures, but as far as the individual numbers as like what a surgeon makes, what a dealer makes, no. no there's, there's no numbers for that. In October of 2011, 60-year-old Levy Isaac Rosenbaum, who described himself as a, quote, matchmaker, admitted to brokering organ sales. Rosenbaum was sentenced to two and a half years in prison for his crime, marking America's first federal conviction for illegal organ profiteering. He was released in 2014. Probably still doing it. At a bit of two and a half years, yeah, you're probably going to go do it again. Taking into consideration how much money the guy was making, I mean, come on. Two years. It's wild. According to authorities, Rosenbaum bought kidneys from vulnerable people in Israel for $10,000 and sold them to desperate patients in the United States for up to $160,000. What a markup. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Making some dough. This alleged decade-long scheme was exposed by an FBI sting, and it was the first documented case of organ trafficking in the United States. 
And as part of this scheme, the organ donors were brought from Israel to the United States, where they underwent surgery to have their kidneys removed. Prosecutors did not identify which hospitals in the U.S. received the organs. The Israel Medical Association stated that they had no reports of Israelis selling organs and were shocked by the allegations. Of course they were shocked. Oh, what? (laughs) We had no idea. They didn't mention the hospitals where this took place, but there were a couple representatives from a hospital that chose to speak. Dr. Raddy Zaki and Beth Duffy, the head of healthcare services at Albert Einstein Healthcare Network, which is associated with Albert Einstein Hospital, both testified independently that Rosenbaum consistently represented himself as a lawful intermediary for organ donors for patients from Israel and produced all the required paperwork for the organ donor matching process. So he had it, he had all his ducks in a row. He seemed legit. But it's interesting because you'll see that the actual procurers of organs or the ones that kind of seek out people that are donating versus the people that do this illegally are very much kind of the same. They do the same type of job, except one is on the books and one is not. I'm just trying to think how this whole process works. So with Rosenbaum, what he would do is he would go back and forth between Israel and the United States, and he would find desperate families in Israel that were willing to donate or sell their organs. Then what he would do is he would fly that patient into the United States under like a temporary visa or something associated, they would come in to do the surgery. Now, prior to the patient being flown in from Israel, they would do the matching tests, the blood tests, all that stuff in their respective countries. So the donor would get tested in Israel and the patient would get tested in the United States to make sure that it was a match before he flew in the donor. The donor was on site when he or she gave their organ. Now, from my research into this subject, this Israel organ trafficking seemed to pop up a lot. Is there any specific reason why Israel is like sort of a hotspot for this? I don't know. I could not tell you. One question before we move on to they paid them $10,000 in U.S. dollars for these organs? Yes. Rosenbaum was arrested as part of a federal case that began as an investigation into money laundering and organ trafficking but quickly evolved into a political corruption probe. A total of 44 people, including three New Jersey mayors and five rabbis, were taken into custody in connection with the case. Although the politicians and rabbis were not accused of involvement in the actual organ trafficking. For those who require transplants and don't have a local organ procurer, there is transplant tourism. This transplant tourism is the act of embarking on a journey to a foreign land in search of a new lease on life through an organ transplant. Essentially traveling to another country. Yeah. To find what you're looking for. Can you imagine? Business or pleasure, sir? (laughs) Life. Life. Transplant tourism is a way for individuals who have been met with roadblocks such as long wait lists or a dearth of other donors in their home country to seek out alternative options. It's also a way for people to save some money as the cost of the procedure may be more affordable in another country. That's really the big seller. One such country 
is and remains the only in which the sale of organs is legal, Iran. In 1988, Iran made history by becoming the only nation on earth to legalize the practice of paid organ donations from living, non-related donors, a concept known as LNRD. That makes sense. Yeah. Acronym. This decision has been fiercely defended by the country, and they claim it's both practical and in accordance with the strict moral guidelines of Islam. According to Iran's own words, it's a one-of-a-kind system that has saved countless lives by matching supply and demand for a price typically around $4,500 and without the never-ending pain of waiting for a transplant. And this money comes from Iran. It comes from the government. So the government is paying the donors for this. So it's not a procurer that's paying for this. It is the country themselves that is paying the donor. I almost feel like this is the least suspect thing that we're going to talk about the entire episode. I'm kind of behind this a little bit. It is kind of a voluntary thing, but there is some ethical things to it. There is certain shady elements to it. So in theory, it sounds like it's very on the up and up and a generally good thing for people. But as we get into it, you'll see it's a little sus, gets a little sus. I feel like it's a good idea. It's almost kind of like a, a universal healthcare type of system where you're not letting people die off. But what would be shady about it is if you're actually killing people to make those other people survive. That would be shady. While the process is arguably both simple and efficient, with each donor registering on a database to be matched with a patient, all while being overseen by a state-regulated body, there have been multiple abuses. Human leukocyte antigen, or HLA, is the matching of tissues, for example, which is required to improve graft survival and prevent host rejection, and it's not routinely performed during these transplants. So that's a step that's skipped. I'm already starting to pick up the fact, okay, if you reject and die, we already got the profit from it. Yeah. Beggars can't be choosers, bro. <laughs> you know, roll the dice. I guess that would fall on their healthcare system a, a little bit in a way. I know the government is tied up into that, but... Why aren't the hospitals performing these matching of tissues so that, say, your new organ doesn't get rejected from your body? Because it's taking away from profit. Okay. Mm. There's probably a lot more non-compatible tissues than what they normally get. So just skip the step and, yeah, roll like Mike said, roll the dice and see what happens. I feel like there's enough money to be made in the Middle East to where they don't need to be doing this. <laughs> Depends on the country. Mm. I suppose. Beyond the questionable medical ethics of Iran's transplant system is the inevitable fact of profit. Medical professionals and procurers taking advantage of their clients, while the government specifically prohibits doctors or any third party from directly profiting from the sale of kidneys or any other organs or tissues, the reality is quite different. A little under the table, under the table funds. 
While being anonymous, healthcare professionals in Iran claim that the IRGC is violating human rights by forcing certain groups or demographics to undergo organ transplant surgeries or submit tests for the purpose of collecting data to allocate organs. Yeah, so it's not all altruistic. It's definitely not. How are they forcing them, though? With waving money in their face? It's kind of a targeted thing. But it's also just brute force sometimes. Not not really carrying people into the situation, but forcing one way or another. Literally just like kicking somebody's door in and being like, your kidney is ours? <laughs> yeah, or sending them a notice in the mail. <laughs> your kidney has been drafted for the cause. Funny thing, as I was going through this whole thing, one thing that I noticed and I had never really thought about is that another big organ or thing for transplant is corneas. Really? Yeah. Which I didn't think was, I guess I never really thought about it. Like you think about like liver and lungs and heart and whatever else, kidneys, but never think about corneas. Must have a steady hand to extract one of those joints out of an eyeball. Yeah. Right. And just take the whole eye out. I was going to say, they probably just take the whole eye out and then yeah. figure it out from there. Then they just squeeze it out like pomegranate <laughs> seeds or something. They just shake it violently. The royal jelly. Although it's difficult to determine, the full extent of the network or even the trace of the flow of the funds, since the transactions are often conducted using cash, hawala, or cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, which can be converted into cash or other cryptocurrencies. Satari Ali, a lawyer turned rights activist in Tehran, the capital, explains how the IRGC has systematically abused the powers it wields. Quoted, I was tipped off by a family member who is IRGC. Not everyone working for the regime supports the regime, by the way. Quite often, Iranians will feign loyalty to survive. The former lawyer went on to say, we discovered that since 2020, IRGC has used the mobile hospital's units to set up during the COVID-19 pandemic to harvest organs illegally and have proper deniability, end quote. So they were using COVID-19 to take organs of people that had died. And just listed them as COVID deaths? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Even if they got COVID, they could murk them and list it as a COVID death. And then Mm, that's money in that flesh, boy. That is money in that flesh. She goes on to say, quote, the list of their victims is long. Political dissidents, petty criminals in local jails, homeless people, and babies. IRGC has bought babies from desperate mothers so they could harvest their organs and never have to justify their provenance. Not that they must justify what they are doing, but to target the most vulnerable, especially before they appear on the government database, simplifies their task. She's pretty much saying that they were taking babies from mothers before they were put into the database. So before the government could put the baby on the books. Mm. So the baby never existed to the government. But that wouldn't be something that would be happening if you're using petty criminals and people in jail and homeless people, then they're in the database. Then you have to account for a person. That's playing the game. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of accounts of babies being sold specifically for organ harvesting. 
because of that reason. Like people just getting pregnant to sell the baby yeah. off. Yeah. Surrogates. There's entire networks in other countries of women that get pregnant on purpose. They can have multiple women pregnant at the same time and they all work together kind of in tandem. They get pregnant multiple times and they just keep having babies and selling them. That's sick. Yeah. yeah. It's mostly sex workers in other countries. Uh, we'll actually go through one of the cases of one of these sales of the baby. Of course, all of this brings up the overwhelming topic of human trafficking. Most human trafficking is related to the sex trade or slavery. Although a considerable amount is attributed to the procurement and sale of humans for organs. I know it's hard to quantify an exact amount, but if you guys had to take your best guess as to a percentage, how much human trafficking is directly related to organ harvesting? Just like an off-the-cuff guess. Honestly, probably, uh, probably about 25%. 25%, about a third, I would say. Yeah, I was going to say something along those lines because sex and slavery makes a lot of money too. But you also have to think about it this way. So ultimately, what it boils down to is how much money you can make. And with organs, buying a person for organs, you can possibly make a lot more money than buying a person for sex slave or for working slavery because you're paying a one-time kind of fee for a person or you're making a certain amount of money by selling the person one time. Whereas with selling organs, if you're not selling as a whole baby or as a whole human being, you're selling those organs individually. So you could sell kidneys for a certain amount. You could sell the liver. You could sell the lungs. You could sell the heart, the corneas. It's kind of like parting out a vehicle. This is dark, dude. It's a crazy analogy, but it's like you part out a human being. So if you really think about it, between the three options, if you were an absolute shitbag, terrible person, and you were in this business and you were looking to make the most amount of money, organ harvesting is the way to go. Plus, I think when it comes down to human trafficking for the sex trade or for human slavery. I think that people tend to sell in bulk. That sounds terrible. I know. I know it's a terrible way to look at it, but they see it as a commodity. So a person who's selling, let's say women for the sex trade, they're not going to go and say, yeah, I have one girl that I can sell you. They're going to come and they're going to say, oh yeah, I got 20 girls that I can sell you. What's a deal that you can give me on that? And they can make money every day. And then when you're talking about like manual labor in like a slave system, those people don't get paid. So you got free labor that opens up your entire bottom end of your business. I'm like nauseous over that. <laughs> I'm serious. One such instance involved three Ukrainian women in 2003 attempting to sell a baby. The women made contact with undercover police in Italy who were posing as interested buyers. The women held an auction for the baby at a later date. Yeah, so this is the case that I was talking about. The police would show up to the auction with a room full of interested buyers, most of which were there as proxies for families seeking to purchase the child for its organs. So kind of like an actual auction. The police would place the winning bid for 50,000 euros and take custody of the child after its birth in May of that year. Is that a lot? 50 grand. It's about 
similar. 50 grand for a baby, huh? Hmm. You can't put a number on a baby's life or anybody's life for that matter, but I feel like that's low. I guess it would be pretty low, but what's even more fucked up is that when they arrested these Ukrainian women, they kind of caught on to this whole ring, like I said, of kind of surrogate mothers that were getting pregnant on purpose. Mm. And when they questioned them further, apparently before this auction, they had sold like five other babies. Oh, Jesus Christ. And again, most of these buyers are there for organs specifically. It's like a whole different meaning to Babies R Us. And it's kind of like, (laughs) Christ. It's fucked up because you know that that baby is pretty much gone but on the other end of it that baby is essentially keeping another baby alive because if you think about it like these organs are obviously coming from a baby they're not going to take that baby and go raise it until it's an adult and then use the organs so they're buying these babies specifically to save other babies that's morbid so this is a question that i kind of battled with myself going through this and thinking about this As a parent, maybe I see it differently, but if, God forbid, my child ever had something going on with them where they required some sort of organ, I'd honestly probably become a piece of shit and buy a baby. Like, how far do you go? How far do you go? Okay, you could say to yourself, if you got a bad heart or if you have something going on with you, all right, I'm not going to go illegally buy some sort of organ or cause the death of somebody because I need something. That's essentially you're trading your life for somebody else. But then again, who knows? You may be desperate. You don't want to die. You go out of your way to do that. But when it comes to a child, when it comes to your child, how far would you go? To the end of it. Yeah. I mean, there is a detachment of it because you're the person buying and you're not the person actually doing all the middleman work. And the middleman work has to probably be morally and ethically more challenging for people because you're not the one sitting in desperation trying to save your six month old baby because they need a heart. And realistically, the people, these are most likely rich people. Obviously, if they're shelling over 50 grand, like it's nothing. And they have somebody that can go to these auctions to kind of be the intermediary there. They most likely aren't going to see that baby. They most likely aren't going to see any involvement with that child or anything like that. That intermediary will then take the baby to the back alley surgeon or that moonlighting surgeon, they'll take the organs and then they'll transfer it to the hospital where their baby will be to take in that organ. It's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it too much, it's, that's still what it is. I hear where you're coming from. And to be honest, if these women are willing to sell unborn babies or newly born babies on the black market, for their organs to be harvested, which will be used on, like you said, babies in other countries purchased by wealthy buyers. Honestly, those women, if not selling their babies on the black market, would probably just be having them aborted otherwise. I don't know if you can harvest the organs of an aborted fetus or an aborted baby or a third trimester abortion or whatever, but maybe it, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's fucked up. The silver lining, that very faint silver lining. There's also the whole surrogacy 
with people having babies and you're not the parent of the baby. You just have it. You're using you as a vessel. That's kind mm -hmm. of, it's not, people might get mad at me for saying this. It's kind of along the same lines. You're using a middle man, which is the person that's having the baby. But in Ukraine, the act of surrogacy lies in a great area as many women sell their unborn children. What happens beyond the surrogacy and sale is unknown, but in some cases it results in the death of the child for most commonly the heart. It's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a happy episode, boys. Yeah, this is the darkest one we've done in a while in terms of ethics and mortality. Another case of harvesting created a big hoopla throughout the EU. After the war in Kosovo, an American journalist, Michael Montgomery, obtained testimony from seven former KLA soldiers who said they had transported prisoners, dead and alive, from Kosovo to Albania. Some of Montgomery's sources referred to the possibility of organ trafficking and identified a small yellow farmhouse in the village of Ripe, near the remote town of Burrell, Albania. Montgomery shared his research with the Office of Missing Persons and Forensics, or OMPF, at the United Nations Interim Administration Mission in Kosovo. A team of UN and ICTY investigators visited the house in February of 2004. They found widespread traces of blood of uncertain origin on the floor, as well as medical surgical equipment on the trash dump and in the riverbed. The family living in the house offered contradictory and inconsistent explanations for the blood as well as the equipment. Witness statements indicated that a doctor described as a Kosovar from Peck might have removed the organs from up to 50 prisoners there. The villagers objected to the exhuming of the graves where the witnesses said that several victims were buried under false Albanian names. Well, that's war crime stuff. Yeah. Even if they were prisoners. Especially if they were prisoners. Yeah. That's war crime stuff. The UN then shelved their investigation, lacking the mandate to investigate crimes committed after the war had ended, and also having gathered insufficient evidence to support an indictment. That's lazy. Yeah, we don't want that smoke. When it comes down to the disturbing subject matter of organ harvesting, it would be unjust not to include stories of those who may have been victims of the atrocious act. For example, in 2007, 51-year-old Bianca Ariano told her family that she was going to travel to Peru to pursue an online relationship that she'd been engaging in for quite some time. On November 7th, Bianca told her niece over the phone that the relationship was going well, but... Then all forms of communication to her family ceased after that point. Sus. Yeah, very. Carla, Bianca's niece, became concerned after not hearing from her for a few days and decided to reach out to her boyfriend in Peru, Pablo Villafuerte. Pablo claimed that the two had broken up and that she was on her way back to Mexico. Only days later, on November 10th, Peruvian authorities discovered a severed finger with a ring still attached to it that had washed ashore. Shit. In the next few days, more washed ashore. A faceless head, an arm, as well as an entire torso, which was missing all of its internal organs. And they seemed to be surgically removed. Fuck. That's probably why people don't go to these beaches in fucking South America. 
The family was able to identify the ring on the severed finger to be Bianca's, and shortly after, on November 17th, her online lover Pablo was arrested on charges of human organ trafficking. Even more disturbing is an instance of organ harvesting right here in the United States. 18-year-old Gregory Jacobs of Ohio was subject to a closed head injury in 2007 while on a snowboarding trip in Findlay Lake, New York. He was airlifted to Hamlet Medical Center in Pennsylvania, where he died shortly after. Poor kid. Allegedly, doctors, along with a representative of the Center Organ Recovery and Education, or CORE, caused Gregory's death by intentionally administering medications and removing his breathing tube. Holy shit. Gregory's parents, Michael and Teresa, also claimed that their son wasn't even declared brain dead by the time surgeons had begun the harvesting of his organs. That's a premium fuck-up. The scary part is is that a lot of these cases of organ harvesting, I wouldn't say the majority. The majority is definitely a deceased donor or a living, willing donor. But these people are alive when this is happening. They are literally being cut open and having their organs taken out while they are still living. Comatose state or not, yes, they're alive. A statement from CORE reads, quote, As in all donation cases, CORE followed all regulated medical protocols in the case of Gregory Jacobs. The allegations against CORE are baseless and untrue. Was it Fauci that said that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like it. That's a good PR person. Teresa then says, quote, the record indicated that they started harvesting procedures, including the incision, when he was still alive. And he was not even pronounced dead until 29 minutes later. That's pretty shocking. End quote. Who makes that decision? Is that illegal organ trafficking or is it just somebody in that hospital that makes that decision at the wrong time? Is it malpractice? That's definitely malpractice. The doctors in the hospital don't have the power to make that decision. That decision lies with the family on yeah. whether or not to take him off a breathing tube. Especially, it seems like this happened within a very short period of time. It's not like he was on a breathing tube for months or years. I mean, there's people that are in comas for years and they don't take him off breathing tubes. So, The fact of the matter is that even the hospital's records show that Gregory had brainstem function mere minutes before he was taken to the operating room to have his organs removed. He never met the criteria for being legally dead or even brain dead for that matter. He was 18. Was he a donor? Yeah, he could have been. I mean, I know I checked the box to be an organ donor when I was probably 16 or 17. But so. either way there still would have had to have been a decision made on essentially ending his life by taking out the breathing tube. Correct. Imagine his parents. Fuck, dude. The Jacobs family attorney, Dennis Boyle, even takes it a step further to say, quote, Our experts are telling us that had his organs not been taken, he may very well have survived and recovered from this incident. End quote. Holy shit. See, that that borders into murder right there. Yeah. That's essentially hospital murder. Not to get too into it, I mean, how many people were in the last couple of years taken or put on ventilators and they, they die? Whose decision mm -hmm. is that? Is that the hospital? That is mostly the hospital making that decision in those cases. 
Do you think all those people that died in COVID got their organs harvested? I wouldn't be surprised if some of them did, to be honest. Yikes. You know what's what's the most fucked up part about this? Then the nurses and the surgeons go out into the hallway in their scrubs and they make stupid fucking dancing TikTok <laughs> videos yeah. right imagine? after doing this. Yeah. Fucked up. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Jacobs. Your son is done. And then they go do the gritty all the way down the hallway. <laughs> Let's do the hero dance. That's my hero dance, by the way. In the United States from 1987 to 2006, over 16,000 families filed cases for their family members' organs being illegally removed or taken. What? Yeah. yeah. 16,000. 16, yeah. And there's lots of cases. I was talking to Frank about this earlier. We could have listed case after case after case. We could have hours upon hours just talking about the cases of illegal organ harvesting or harvesting of organs, in this case, by hospitals taken a little too early, I guess you could say. There's some very wild, wild cases out there. What's perplexing to me on this whole thing is how a medical professional, especially just putting it in the United States, would make that call. And is there a protocol or a criteria of somebody that comes into the ER that is already on that list of being like, they might die. This is a prime candidate. And then they do it without parental consent or any part of the family. It's perplexing. And that's always kind of been the thing. Like you remember back, like Frank said, you know, putting that that check mark onto organ donor. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would think, oh, well, if I do that, then they're not going to work on my body as hard when I get to the hospital. If I'm in some sort of accident, they'll see that I'm an organ donor and blah, 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 kind of let me die. It was a firm belief, at least of a lot of people that I knew back in the high school days of putting that on your license as an organ donor. And you see that it might not be that far-fetched when it comes down to it, when you see how many of these cases have been filed for essential medical malpractice. Because they can get away with it. Hey, you checked the box, man. Hushlings will return after this short message. Attention, Hush Crutes. We travel back in time to 1978 to Fort Meade, Maryland, while we investigate the program of psychic phenomenon in military and domestic intelligence applications. An operational unit that trained and performed remote viewing and intelligence gathering using remote viewers, allegedly with the ability to time travel and teleport as well. The initiative was primarily used against the Soviets in the fear of attacks and events and had attempted to locate a Soviet nuclear testing area, a new Soviet submarine, tracking down Gaddafi, locating Iraq Saddam Hussein, find plutonium in North Korea, find Scud missiles and secret biological chemical warfare projects, even missions to Mars. Join the boys in debriefing 67 as we take a look inside the U.S. Army's Project Stargate, streaming everywhere Monday, February 13th. Hushlings, we'd like to let you know that Rockfin is officially the home 
of the New Hush Hush Society video content. It is the exclusive home to all of our debriefings, declassified discussions, and all of our video content. It's very easy to go over there, rockfin.com forward slash hush hush society, and you can subscribe to our channel. And be sure to check out our website, the one-stop shop for everything Hush related. There you can find all of our blogs, our audio debriefings, links to our merch, as well as all of our social media links. Lastly, if you love our show and want to support us in becoming a better podcast, look us up on Patreon. We've got a ton of exclusive content over there for only $5 a month. That's www.patreon.com forward slash hush hush society. And as always, Hushlings, we would welcome you to leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you're able to leave us a rating, including our website. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Although the majority of illegal harvesting takes place in poorer countries such as Pakistan, India, Morocco, Costa Rica, and Mexico, the largest operation takes place in China. A recent analysis of nearly 3,000 Chinese language articles published in Chinese academic journals between 1980 and 2015, conducted by the American Journal of Transplantation, has provided evidence that transplant surgeons in China may have harvested organs, including hearts and lungs, from individuals who are not yet brain dead, contrary to the international dead donor rule. This study, published in the leading peer-reviewed publication on the topic, suggests that these actions may have been taken in violation of accepted medical and ethical standards. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty widespread. Hmm. The Chinese government has been accused of being a major contributor to the global organ trafficking market, using organs harvested from forcibly acquired sources. It has been alleged that practitioners of Falun Gong, a spiritual discipline that has been suppressed by the Chinese government, have been the primary victims of this practice with more recent reports suggesting that Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minorities may also be targeted. The use of organs from executed prisoners or transplant surgeries in China is a well-documented issue. Members of Falun Gong have been heavily persecuted by the Chinese government. This began in 1992 with the teachings of Li Hongzhi. Li would sit on the corner of a rundown apartment block and teach meditative exercises to anyone interested. In addition to these slow-moving exercises, the practice also incorporates a moral code based on compassion, truthfulness, and forbearance. Yeah, so it's kind of like Tai Chi. Hmm. So these people are just chill as fuck and they're just killing them for no reason. They're probably jealous of their chill-ass lifestyle. These guys are so fucking zen. This combination of physical and moral elements is believed to be responsible for Falun Gong's rapid growth and widespread popularity in China. By 1995, the movement had gained millions of followers, rivaling the Communist Party's size. The party saw this as a threat to its goal of turning China into a global economic power, and as a result, Falun Gong became a target for persecution. By 1996, the Chinese government had begun a campaign to demonize Falun Gong, with state-run media outlets labeling the practice as, quote, pseudoscientific, feudal, superstitious nonsense. Practitioners of Falun Gong were subjected to increasing surveillance and persecution. 
Despite this, the movement continued to grow, with an estimated 70 million practitioners in China by 1999, comprising about one-fifth of the population. As the movement's popularity grew, arrests of Falun Gong practitioners also increased. In one notable incident, police violently suppressed a peaceful demonstration by steering thousands of protesters into a position that appeared to be an attack on a government building. This incident marked the first time that violence was used against Falun Gong practitioners. Sounds familiar. On June 7th of 1999, the leader of the Communist Party of China, Zhang Zemin, declared that the eradication of Falun Gong was top priority. In response, three days later, the government created the 610 Office, a special intelligence unit with sweeping powers. This department was dedicated solely to the suppression and elimination of the spiritual movement. Sounds kind of familiar to a 1940s group. Oh, so this incident that took place with them being kind of pushed into this position around this government building and saying, hey, you guys are attacking us. Another part of that that was kind of interesting is that Zhang Zemin was inside of his like state car being driven around by his driver and was literally just going around in circles, just watching the whole thing go down. Wow. Yeah. So the Chinese government really have it out for the Falun Gong practitioners, for sure. Yeah. Because they see him as a threat, which is kind of weird because the whole movement is about peaceful living and stuff like that. So why would you see them as a threat? It's not like they're violent people. I'm not totally for America world police by any means. I don't think that we should step in to every country and take care of every world issue. But I kind of feel like we should have stepped in then. Mm -hmm. Like around then, mid to late 90s, if we had stepped in, like imagine how different China would be. I know we couldn't because China pretty much owned us at that point. But still. They still own us. They own our president. (laughs) Our hands are still dirty too, though. Yeah, they are. So like if we came in there and we were just like, oh, you guys can't do this. They're going to be like, hell, you guys fucking do it too. Dude, we're hypocrites all the time. What are you talking about? The hypocrisy in this country is fucking insane. Falun Gong practitioners in China faced arrest and detention as part of the government's efforts to eliminate the movement. While in custody, they were presented with a choice sign a document renouncing their affiliation with Falun Gong, or face the consequences. Those who signed were released, while those who refused were sent to prison. In these detention centers, practitioners of Falun Gong were often subjected to abuse at the hands of both guards and other prisoners. They were frequently beaten, tortured, raped, and even killed in an effort to force them to renounce their beliefs. It's kind of weird, though, like they would just let them go if they just turned around and said, yeah, I'm done with that. I don't have to do that. I'm good. Do you think it was that simple? Probably not. They were probably still surveilled after they left or kept under house arrest or something of the sort. I severely doubt that the Chinese government was, you know, hey, yeah, cool. You're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, All good, man. All good. A middle-aged peasant woman named Zhao Jinhua had been arrested while working in a field. Ethan Gutman, author of The Slaughter, Mass Killings, Organ Harvesting, and China's Secret Solution to Its Dissonant Problems, writes, quote, After nine days of beatings, 
electric shocks, and sleep deprivation, she was pronounced dead on October 7th, the first confirmed case of death by torture. Yikes. Seeing the word in his book that he wrote, The Secret Solution, sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, secret solution to its dissident problem. That sounds like history repeating itself. And it's got the two S's. Despite claims by the Chinese government that all organ transplants in the country are now, as of 2015, sourced from voluntary donors, there are significant doubts about the validity of these claims. Data suggests that the number of transplant surgeries performed in Chinese hospitals far exceeds the number of available ethically sourced organs. The independent tribunal into forced organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience in China issued a disturbing verdict in March of 2020, stating that forced organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience occurred on a massive scale affecting a staggering number of victims. This shocking revelation was further validated by the United Nations. On June 14, 2021, 12 special procedures mandate holders expressed their deep concern over the reports of organ harvesting targeting minorities such as Falun Gong practitioners, Uyghurs, Tibetans, Muslims, and Christians in China, and urged the Chinese government to open up to independent human rights monitoring. Which they will never do. No, no. You can't even get into China half the time. Dude, that's fucking recent. That judgment not only talks about organ harvesting and what they're doing in that part of it, but they're also talking about like human rights abuses in general. So like working in factories or mining operations or anything of that sort, child labor. So it encompasses a lot of different things. To further expand on what special procedures are, we grab this description straight from the UN Human Rights website. Special reporters are part of what is known as the Special Procedures of the Human Rights Council. Special Procedures, the largest body of independent experts in the UN human rights system, is the general name of the Council's independent fact-finding and monitoring mechanisms that address either specific country situations or thematic issues in all parts of the world. Special Procedures experts work on a voluntary basis. They are not UN staff and do not receive a salary for their work. They are independent from any government or organization and serve in their individual capacity. So these people are heroes? Essentially, yeah. Volunteers that look into human rights violations. Good on them. So we were talking about the 12 special procedures. It's essentially a council of these people that found that China is grossly performing these human rights violations. Mind-blowing and stomach-churning. Most recently, we have a conflict that is going on between Ukraine and Russia. So we found some interesting facts about things that possibly could be going on in that situation. The ongoing war in Ukraine intensifies a bit when organ harvesting is involved in the mix. On May 20th of 2019, a report was televised on a Russian news station that featured an interview with a masked man claiming to be a Ukrainian army officer. The masked man claimed that Alexander Vitashvili 
the former Georgian Minister of Healthcare of Ukraine, secretly sent a group of organ transplant specialists to Kyiv. He goes on to say that Vitashvili was working alongside members of the Ukrainian general staff to implement this plan. The Ukrainian soldier being interviewed also stated that he was assigned to a special medical group called Emergency Care and Resuscitation. It was this group that set up centers in places like Kramatorsk and Severodonetsk, where all of the wounded Ukrainian soldiers would end up. Allegedly, one of the organ transplant specialists that was implemented through this plan was Elizabeth Donbruk, who was brought with her practice of removing the organs of wounded soldiers without their permission or consent. The soldier is quoted saying, The army was turned into a private business, a business where you profit from the officials. It is the business of selling bodies of our soldiers, which are supplied from Ukraine and then shipped to Europe. Holy shit. And this is from a Russian TV station? Yeah, this is from a Ukrainian soldier that got interviewed on Russian television. Do you think it's just Russian TV propaganda? Like uh, Greta Thunberg's arrest the other day? Oh my god. Jesus Christ. Staged. Photo op. Wait, I said yup, but I have no idea what you're talking about. She got arrested, but it was staged. What do you, why? They staged the picture of her being carried out. She was protesting something and supposedly got arrested, but in reality, it was just a photo op. I think it was like a German mining thing that she was protesting. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. How about going to the Congo where the real fucking mining issues are? Anyways, we found another interview of a Russian soldier speaking out about human trafficking and child organ harvesting in Ukraine. In the only clip available of the interview, he says, quote, Their group, as it turns out, was gathering kids around Ezium, little ones from two to six or seven years old, and was bringing them to that particular place. Mind you, the verbiage of this quote might be a little bit weird because it is translated from... Russian to English, and I don't know who did that translation or whatever you may have it, but it might sound a little bit weird. He goes on to say, they got undressed on the first floor, and on the second floor, they got carved up, like discarded waste. They were either just kept in pits or taken out somewhere. And those guys, you know, were talking about them, the kids, as if they were slaughtering some livestock like a piglet or a rabbit. These implantations, they took organs. I heard about it, but I didn't believe it. Until seeing all of this with one's own eyes, one cannot comprehend it. But when you see it, you won't forgive. End quote. Yikes, bro. Yeah. It's scary to me because it's one thing if you're an adult and you are willingly giving an organ to someone. Or even, I don't know why it differentiates, but even if you're an adult that's getting killed for your organ... Versus a child being killed for their organs. Just hits different. I would suggest you guys look for that interview. Again, I'm going to call out on the Hushlings for their bullshit meter and see if they think that it's Russian propaganda or not. It's an interesting interview. This Russian soldier looks like he's about to cry. Like it looks like he's about to break down. Like he has that like thousand yard stare the entire time he's talking about it. It's Mm. bizarre. Well, only a hop skipping away from Mother Russia, we have Canada 
our uh, lovely neighbor up north. And since the Medical Aid and Dying Act, or MAID, went into effect in March of 2021, 26 people who chose to die by a lethal injection also opted in to donate their tissue and or organs. Many of the proponents of MAID agree that this could be a great way to alleviate the lack of readily available organ transplants in Canada. Makes sense. Mm. Sure. Well, this is like voluntary death. So you are taking yourself out and then just letting it happen. So that takes all liability and blame off the government. But even the supporters of this ethical battlefield understand that there are possible unintended consequences when mixing aided suicide with organ removal. There's been concerns that the promotion of harvesting organs after made could drive those who have terminal illnesses or are on the fence about killing themselves to pursue the assisted suicide to give their life or death some sort of meaning. It would pretty much persuade people to kill themselves and hope that they would help someone else. Yeah. Yeah. The director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, Alex Schadenberg, said, quote, the euthanasia lobby wants people to think of it as a societal good. So once society accepts the euthanasia process, it only makes sense to condition them to accept the organ harvesting that will follow. The black market for organ harvesting is a serious and complex issue that affects individuals and communities around the world. The sale of organs on the black market not only exploits vulnerable populations, but also puts recipients at risk of receiving deceased or incompatible organs. I mean, that shows like what Canada is trying to do, whether it be nefarious or not. It sounds like that's their way of legal organ harvesting. Mm. Weird. There's obviously a big difference between organ harvesting for the good of people and organ harvesting for profit. Mm -hmm. For sure. One is a business and one is a public service. Don't get the two mixed up. There's definitely good out there for as much as there is bad. What I'm concerned about with Made in particular, that whole program, is that when somebody comes in for that medically assisted suicide, that they might not try to find an alternative route to help somebody, whether it be seeking some sort of mental health care or something along those lines, mm -hmm. because they might just see dollar signs out of it. Not only that, but it, it could push people that extra foot off the edge to say, all right, fuck it, I'll do it. It's going to help somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also not sure if made is specifically just for like end of life people, maybe people that are in hospice or have a debilitating disease or anything like that. I am not so sure that they would just take somebody that has mental illness and say, okay, you want to die, you can die. Is that the misconception about that whole program in Canada is that most of us are thinking that you can just go there. I hate my life. I'm done. You're 19 yeah. and you know, you're just like, whatever. And it's just a way to kill yourself essentially. But in reality, it's for people that do not have a quality of life. That's pretty much what the program is. The program is for people that are at end of life and they don't want to go on anymore. So it's not for, you know, somebody who's suicidal or 
depressed or anything like that. It's for people that have an end date. Wild stuff. Shall we uh, get into Reddit? There's all sick fuckers all over Reddit talking about this. Did you guys see the video I sent you from Reddit a couple days ago? Yeah, that's weird. The video that Dave is talking about is all over Reddit. There was some sort of vlogger, I guess, or adventurer, you could call him, going through the tunnels in China and said that he came across these big piles of children's bodies and people's bodies and they were the results of organ harvesting as victims i don't know how much i believe it it's possible yeah but again i think in a situation like that that i don't think that china is just piling up bodies that was my argument with that it could just be somebody making a movie because the imagery of it was absolutely putrid the bodies were dismembered faces gone chest cavities open and they're in a vat of some type of black liquid but like you said wouldn't they just incinerate instead of just piling them up in the sewer system that doesn't make sense that's yeah. what they, i mean that's essentially what that video was so. look at the catacombs in france that place is lined with fucking human remains I think that's a little different than throwing a man into a vat of liquid after you take his heart out. We live in a sci-fi flick. Anything's on the table. User Max Kozlov posted an excerpt from a tech startup company whose goal is to copy your DNA into an embryo specifically for organ harvesting. The company is called Renewal Bio. The company is pursuing recent advances in stem cell technology and artificial wombs demonstrated by Jacob Hanna, a biologist at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Rehovit, which I believe is in Israel. The user posted an excerpt of the company's website that was explaining what their mission is. And it says, in a search for novel forms of longevity medicine, a biotech company based in Israel says it intends to create embryo stage versions of people in order to harvest tissues for use in transplant treatments. Could back that. Yeah. Uh, as we're talking about biologist Jacob Hanna, says that earlier this week, Hannah showed that starting with mouse stem cells, his lab could form highly realistic-looking mouse embryos and keep them growing in a mechanical womb for several days until they developed beating hearts, flowing blood, and cranial folds. This guy out here just making an army of mice. <laughs> <laughs> Little Stuart Littles. <laughs> Stuart Little Army. <laughs> it's the first time such an advanced embryo has been mimicked without sperm, eggs, or even a uterus. Hannah's report was published in the journal Cell on Monday. In the next set of experiments, Hannah is using his own blood or skin cells and those of a few other volunteers as the starting point for making synthetic human embryos. It means his lab could soon be swimming in hundreds of thousands of tiny minimes. All genetic clones of himself. So Stuart Littles. Little Jacob Hannah's. Little Jacobs. Little Jacobs. Little Little Jacobs. That would be such a breakthrough when it comes to organ transplants. If they were actually able to clone you at a rapid rate, 
to ensure that the organs that you're going to receive are the perfect match for you. And that organ would be readily available, I guess, whenever the clone is fully developed or to the size where the organ could be removed and used on you. I'm sure it would be wildly, ridiculously expensive, mm. but it seems ethical. And I mean, I know we got into the ethical debate of clones in general in our clone episode, but more so ethical than taking it from some man in Israel for $10,000. Yeah, they're a little newborn baby. Now, stem cell research has been going on for a long time, especially with transplantation. My dad was doing stem cells to see if they could create new arteries in his heart. Mm. Instead of cutting them out of your arm and slapping them in your chest, you know, why not create a new tube? No, wild. When he had his first bypass, his triple bypass, they took the they took this artery out from here to here, and his two fingers forever were numb. Jesus, no blood flow. All right, boys, let's say we get into our final thoughts on global organ harvesting. Declassified, Dave. What do you think about this fucked up situation? <laughs> I guess I'm the first one on the chopping block. God damn. My feeling on this entire subject is kind of what Frock said earlier. It's disturbing and stomach turning while there are ethical and moral positives to this stem cell thing that we just talked about to creating more organs for people that are in need. I think that's a good thing. But from the rest of this episode, the darkness ensues. It is a very dark business. And the fact that Iran and China and other countries like that are doing this stuff for straight profit is frightening but this is definitely happening all over the world including like we said the u.s canada and probably most developed countries so this was a dark one very dark episode very dark topic i know hushlings i appreciate you for sticking with us through this one it's a tough one very scary stuff um, I am brought to the thought, as I said previously, is how far would a person go to either live themselves or to save their children's life? I think that is a major contributor, obviously, to how this business keeps going globally and how it's making so much money and it keeps increasing, along with the fact that human health is kind of in the shitter as of late. And more and more people are getting onto these transplant lists. And as more people join these lists and there are less organs available, you're going to see a lot of people willing to do anything to live. I think it's only going to propagate. It's only going to get worse. I think it's only going to continue to happen until some sort of major breakthrough happens in which we can get organs from other sources that are not other human beings. Not invasive. Yeah. Sad. Sad. Slick, frockety frock, Sanders, what's your final thoughts on the baby killings? Absolutely gross, wretched subject, these dark subjects. It's interesting to dive into them, but at the same time, the more you look into it, the more you want to stop, but you almost can't, like a car crash or a train wreck. It's intriguing to see what's going on around the world and how... It continues to happen despite how ethically wrong it is. I'm sure at some point there will be advancements in technology where we won't have to rip organs out of kidnapped people, even though that will still continue to happen. Hopefully it's not happening on the operating tables of United States hospitals. Well, 
young people who could recover from accidents or ailments aren't getting their their organs ripped out. Uh, probably the darkest episode we've done since our revisit of Holocaust denial. Fucking wild shit. Wild shit. All right, Hushlings, that is going to do it for this episode of Global Organ Harvesting. Was there anything that we missed? Anything that we should have discussed? Did you want to hear more accounts of organ murders or lost brains or hearts? Reach out to us. As always, our email, contact at hushhushsociety.com. Hushlings, don't forget to tune in for our 67th installment on Monday, February 13th, where we do a little bit of remote viewing on Mars, the moon, with the United States Army in Project Stargate. Thank you all for joining us, becoming depressed. I'm Declassified Dave. I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight. <laughs> <laughs>